Okay. Hey, everybody. It's the Mallard Report. Jim Mallard here, host of the Mallard Report. Before we begin, i got to remind you the views and opinions expressed on the show are solely of those of the host and guests. Do not necessarily reflect Evergreen's podcast, Killer Podcast, any sponsors, affiliates, or anybody else. The Mallard Report is recorded live in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Home. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern. ever have that moment where you realize that you wanted to ask something before you did all that and now you're just going to make yourself look like an idiot that's me right now capture that moment my guest, Dude, all the time. My guest tonight is michael deola how do you say your last name it's a tricky italian man uh dealoya uh, see I, I like I, I thought i knew it and then i went I looked at my notes and I'm like, I don't have the goofy pronunciation that I normally make above it. Oh no! No. <laughs> no. Once once people look at it, once they look at it, you know, it puts the, a sense of fear into them, and, and then it messes them up. But it's like it's said like, be a lawyer, be a lawyer, be a lawyer. But you weren't. You didn't become a lawyer. What's the matter? You should have capitalized from the marketing end of that. Uh, my wife's a lawyer. I think oh. we've got those bases covered. I should run for the hills now. Okay, anyways, before... <laughs> wait, let's, let's stop and reset here before we get too far gone. My guest tonight is um, Michael... I, I, the CEO of Evergreen Podcast, former columnist for the, plane, the Cleveland Plain Dealer. What a great name for a newspaper, by the way. Um, yeah. Maybe that's my Western Pennsylvania coming out in me there. What a great name for a newspaper. Oh. <laughs> 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 um... <laughs> Author of a couple books. What else am I missing, man? You you've been busy. I started. Yeah, life's been good. I was gonna say I started digging into you a couple. Well, well, not last week, the week before, because you were, we were set to do this last week, and I went, man, this guy wrote books, and I knew you wrote for the paper, and done a number of things. So let's let's talk about the tech column for a few minutes. You did that for what, f- almost four years? Four years somewhere in there. Yeah, almost five. You know, I, I, I kind of look back on that as as luck. I, the whole reason for that column, because um, it was called the Techstar Talk, um, I had been many years before that, about 10 years before that, I'd been at the city of Cleveland as the Texar. I worked for Mayor Campbell, Mayor Jackson, and I was responsible for the economic development of the technology trades and the plain dealer thought, you know, maybe we should, you know, write more about the upcoming technology revolution that was kind of happening in Cleveland, Ohio. And so they kind of like, well, who, who's the guy? And, oh, well, maybe it's the Texar who could help us with that. And so I was really thrilled uh, to get that phone call. Like, hey, why don't you come down and talk to us? And uh, maybe you could write a few things. And it turned out to be over... It was like 120 columns that I wrote for the newspaper. So, so I guess I jumped in the middle there, but that's okay because we'll go back a little bit. Techn- we can always go back. Yeah, we, we should always go back to come forward because it's kind of an inter- it's the journey that's got you here that makes this kind of well. It leads to the one question that I have. But we'll get there. I mean, that's coming. It's teasing this big question that isn't. It sounds a lot bigger than it is, but it'll be good. Um, Helping a, a major city with technology, how does <laughs> I, I could just imagine the logistical nightmare of trying to get all these because I, I know that I can see the people right now who say we don't need we don't need the computer, right? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that was a mindset, you know. That was I, I when I was right after I got the position that I was with a tech company immediately prior to joining the city of Cleveland as the techs are. I started a tech company called Blue Bridge Networks, which is still downtown. There's a building with the name on top of it on uh, East 13th and Euclid. Um, it's the old, well, they, everyone calls it the Sterling building, but it was really the old um, um, Higby's building, which was an old department store that, became another department store and then yet another department store and ended up being a bank. It was like central national bank or or something to that effect. But 
over all these years, it turned into um, uh, a place where, where companies were putting data centers, and we had bought a data center out of bankruptcy. And that kind of started my tech journey in, in Cleveland, Ohio. I was part of this management group that bought this thing and um, tried to turn it on and, and get clients. And so the mayor knew me. It was Mayor Campbell at the time. And she was putting together a committee to um, – I was on her committee while she was running for mayor to produce a technology report for the city of Cleveland. And uh, I was one of five candidates on the front page of the business section for, um, for the plain dealer. And I was in cranes as a candidate, which is the, the business newspaper here in Cleveland. And it turned out I did not get the job. It went to another gentleman who became the first tech czar. People forget that there were actually two of us. <laughs> and then, uh, he didn't last very long and I ended up getting a phone call and I answered the call and, and uh, soon found myself enmeshed in city politics. But, you, but Jim, you, you're, you're spot on. It was like trying to, well, let me just say there were probably a lot of older leaders, especially on the nonprofit side and civic side who were Luddites who didn't understand technology and really fought tooth and nail where we wanted to go with economic development. It, it was the early days were a challenge, no question. I can't, I can't imagine because I mean, yeah, it's I just I see it on the micro scale. Some of the things I'm involved with, and <laughs> to do it on the bigger scale just blows my mind. So, yeah, I, people fight. You know, people fight um, change and uh, and technology and progress all the time. And, and you're you're right. I think it. I think for Texar one, it clearly frustrated him to the point where he decided to jump ship and take a pretty lucrative job. But I loved the city of Cleveland, so I fought. I really wanted to make a, a huge difference in the city, and um, and you know the early days were a little, were a little, like I said, a bit challenging. I remember sitting in a conversation with a leader of uh, one of the larger foundations here in Cleveland at the time. And the foundations had a lot of influence at the civic level, level as to what sort of agenda was going to be set. And I remember him, I mean, he, you know, he, he gave me 15 minutes to tell my side of the story. I don't think I got 30 seconds into it when he started this massive diatribe on how we do things in Cleveland and how we don't do things in Cleveland and he picked up a fork and he was like, do you see this? We make this. This is what we make. And I was like, you know, that's, that's appropriate. You know, we used to make those things, but unfortunately we don't. And so either you can live in the past or we can move forward. And, and if you don't want to move forward, that's fine. All I ask is you just move aside and let me try and do something different. And uh, if I fail, I'll come back and I'll tell you I failed. But if not, all the better for the city. And... uh you know, I'm happy to report it at the end of it, and there's a lot of great <laughs> rabbit holes that we could go down for sure. But at the end of the day, we moved 37 tech companies into the city. Those are about a thousand new jobs, which doesn't sound like a lot. But in 04, 05, 06, these were big stories for the city. You could feel that momentum starting to change. And then, you know, you go to downtown Cleveland today, even through COVID, and it's it's a lively, much, much livelier spot than it was when I joined the city of Cleveland, to be sure. So I'd like to think I put my own little thumbprint on the city. Yeah, I was going to say, a thousand jobs is nothing to, to sneeze at, though. I mean, it might not be millions, but it's nothing. I mean, that's more than a lot of people have ever pieced out. So I, 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 I Well, it's just the start, right? I mean, it. Yeah, a snowball of other companies. Yeah, right. So I noticed something else that you snuck in there, that that building that you moved into was an old department store. I know you write a book about the lost department stores. <laughs> or put it together. Come on now. What in the – what was this a drunk <laughs> bet? I guess I'm just going to go there. <laughs> well, you know, the great, the great thing about my time at the city of Cleveland was I could go to any building – or any place I wanted to go at once people felt comfortable with me. Like they didn't feel like I was going to come in and write them a 
ticket or, or you know a penalize them i really wanted to get into these old beautiful buildings in downtown and explore them and see what i could do and some were just much bigger than what i could handle but if you look at the idea center building which is in downtown near playoff square now that, that was a big project of mine you looked at the warehouse district i put a lot of tech companies there um it was really a phenomenal journey part of that journey as you highlighted was I, I got to go into all these buildings. I started to learn the history of Cleveland and it was around my time as I was leaving the city, I started to write a blog called the cool history of Cleveland, which was pat- patterned after another website here in town called cool Cleveland. Um, that was kind of started like as a social you know, a place where you can go and find really cool things to go do in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll just steal that title a little bit and just call it the cool history of Cleveland. And, and I started writing about just all these buildings I was going into and how I kind of was putting, you know, these dots together, what the building used to be and who used to be in here. And wouldn't it be cool to make this place alive again? And I guess I started to get some readers, and it got picked up by a, a number of other websites. Um, and then one day I got a phone call from a guy who was saying, you know, hey, I, I'm a publisher for History Press, and I, I service the Midwest. I came across your blog, really would like to sit down and chat. And I thought it was a friend of mine who was um, – because he sounded exactly like a, a guy I was hanging out with. And I laughed it off and I hung up on him like, you know, nice jokes on me. Get it. Ha ha. And uh, luckily he called me back. He's like, no, I'm dead serious. You know, we want you to write for uh, history press. And I've written three books for history press over 10 years. It's r- really been a fantastic journey. And I've learned a lot about this great city uh, of Cleveland because of that. And it all started, you know, from my time working at the city of Cleveland. And then on top of that, you throw, you throw me into the plain dealer mix where I'm writing for the big daily newspaper, of the city It's just like a crazy dream come true. Working in city politics, writing for the city newspaper, yeah, writing about the history of Cleveland. It's just completely crazy. Never would have thought it never would have thought. So this leads to part of the question that I have for you. So let's let's go there because the question is about blogs, blo- vlogs, which is the video format, podcast. What's next? Well, you know the 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 the, the what next is obviously evergreen, and and you and I connected because of evergreen. Seems like it's been like four or five years, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that we've been talking and, uh, you know, I have to be honest, you know, I was in a little bit of a down period of my career and, uh, I was working for a software company and I wanted to become, uh, a CEO again. You know, I told my wife this, I, you know, I want to run a company now, I had been a part of an investment group that had been buying some companies, and every time I thought we were buying the company I was going to run, someone better came along and, and, and became the CEO, and, and, and which, of which I'm very thankful because we had some great luck buying and selling some tech companies throughout the years. But I was just getting, you know, frustrated, I, I guess, and and, uh, and a bit jaded. Well, that sounds a little bit harsh, but... I finally just told her, I'm like, I, I'm going to do this. I'm, I, I got to be, be the CEO. And I had started to interview with mostly companies outside of Cleveland um, to run them as either a chief operating officer or president. Then one day I got a phone call from a friend of mine, a gentleman named Steve Kalia, who, who doesn't live here in Cleveland anymore. He, he's moved away. But he had interviewed for this role at a podcasting company, which at the time was called Front Porch People. And he was like, Mike, listen, I just interviewed for this job. I'm not the guy. I told him I'm not the guy, but that I knew the guy and you're the guy. And you have to call them today 
and introduce yourself and, and get into the mix. And I took down the information and I called uh, this young woman. Uh, her name was Joan Andrews. And Joan had started a podcast network, uh, again, called Front Porch People, which was uh, at the time was a more folksy, homespun take on podcasting. Like, hey, kids and grandparents, let's huddle around a laptop and listen to an episode of podcasting. And there were quizzes attached and links to the book or the movie or whatever the podcast was about. So it was a, it, in her mind, it was just a really grand interactive scheme on using audio as the focal point with all these touch points around it. And I think, you know, our, our, our first year working together, I, I don't know how I got the job, by the way, Jim, but <laughs> I, I ended up getting it. And uh, I think our first year we did four podcasts and we did for the full year, 17,800 downloads for the entire year using SoundCloud, you know, because that in the early days, that was one of the ways to get up on podcasting pretty quickly. And just to give you some context, I mean, you fast forward uh, five years, we'll finish this year 150 podcasts, uh, over 6 million downloads for the year. There was a pivot point, like two years into Front Porch, things weren't going very well. And and uh, we had proposed to Joan, you know, maybe we should pivot to a more, more dynamic, and that's the wrong word, but more contemporary view of podcasting that's more host-driven than than pure content-driven or topic-driven. And let's see what happens. And she gave us that, you know, the rope to go do it and uh, the leap of faith and. Uh, it's been a rocket ship ever since. So that was in late 2018 that we launched Evergreen, November of 2018. And uh, and it's just been a whirlwind tour ever since. I mean, it's been a lot of rapid growth. And this year we launched our fourth network. So now outside of Evergreen, we've got three others, but one was Killer Podcasts. And Honestly, one of the inspirations for doing Killer was because you and I had been talking for a number of years, it seems like, uh, going back to late 1950s. And uh, I, I really felt some inspiration from our conversation between you and I. And internally, we kind of thought like, well, true crime and paranormal would be a really good launching point. And, um, and we started to think through Killer and what made the launch great was that you agreed to jump on board, which really kind of like, all right, you know, we've got this great podcast that's been out in the ether for so many years. It's got a great following. Then I think we have something. And so, as you know, because you were part of it, we, we launched Killer Podcast in October of this year. And it's you know, it's already our second largest channel um, in terms of monthly downloads. So I'm, I'm thumbs up on the future. I, I think I lucked out in finding a, a media company that needed a CEO. And what, what makes it even just more bizarre is that Joan, our founder, and um, she's also the main investor in the business through her family office, lives less than a mile from my house. Uh, our offices are currently a mile from our house. So it was like a very, it's just like everything fit, but like philosophically, you know, in, in the business sense and then geographically and just the whole timing of everything was just a bizarre, you know, meeting uh, of time and place in, in late 2016 when she offered me the job and I accepted. So yeah, I jumped on board January 15th of 2017 of what was to become uh, Evergreen Podcast. It's been a pretty wild ride. I was going to say, it's been a wild ride. Because I, I remember some of those front porch days, and it just, I mean, it, it felt like it had its market, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I mean, of course, I do what I do, right? So I seen it like as something totally different, which was cool. But I didn't know 
how big it could be because it just didn't feel. Yeah, it was. Didn't feel uh, right. I think I, I have a feeling it was probably a little ahead of its time, and there are certain windows of economic economic opportunity where that that could work, and but it just it didn't it just did not catch fire the way that she had kind of. in philosophy since then but to her credit you know because she listen she was a founder I'm not the founder of the business in a lot of respects I'm, I'm a I'd like to feel like I'm a trusted resource but I'm a hired gun right as CEO it's her company and while I do own uh, a minority component she is by far the largest shareholder and she you know, trusted the team enough to build Evergreen to where it is today. And, you know, we really feel like we're going to double our downloads, if not more. I mean, I think we'll be 12 to 14 million in downloads next year. And I want to double that again. I want to be extraordinarily aggressive in our content strategy and our growth strategy. Uh, the, the unintended kind of consequence of all this has just been the amazing amount of just great people that are trusting us enough with their podcasts. You know, listen, this podcast that you've created, you've had for many, many years, it's your baby. You know, it's part of your family. It's part of your, your, your work ethic. I mean, you, people don't realize how much time, energy and effort podcasts take. It is not a, um, well, let me say, you can tell those who don't put a lot of time into their podcast, and you can tell who does put a lot of time into their podcast. And and for 150 different shows to trust us enough to be part of our network uh, means a lot to us. It really drives a lot of the decisions that we make. And, you know, the great thing is on a daily basis, I get to listen to a lot of podcasts and talk to a lot of creative people who are just fantastic and who are lovely people. And now that we, we've got this great platform, we're just going to grow it together and see where it takes us. So you mentioned uh, four, other, well, three other channels plus Killer. What, so what are the other three that I'm missing or didn't register in my head when I seen them? Yeah, sure. The other two are fairly small, but one one is starting to pick up a lot of steam. So we got Evergreen, which is the main um, podcast network, Killer Podcasts. Then we've got Pit Pass Moto, which is a motorsports podcast platform that we acquired a couple of years ago. And then we we are a, a pretty significant owner in Five Minute News. So the Five Minute Dot News site we own and manage and control. And we and Five Minute News is really starting to take off. We I, I've always wanted to be in the news business. I think it's important to have a daily news show that is just pure news it doesn't take the red state or blue state or left or right politics is straight down the middle we're just going to report the facts and let you decide i've always thought that there's a marketplace for that and um you know that show earlier this year was probably doing eight nine thousand downloads a month so not a big show especially for a daily but just recently last couple months it's really hit its stride and you know, we're starting to see 65, 70,000 downloads a month. I think it can hit 100,000 pretty consistently. I also think it's got brand extensions, you know, five-minute sports, five-minute business, five-minute health. And so we, we're looking at doing two new additional five-minute shows next year. We just announced a partnership with, uh, with Midas Touch. And um, so they've been a big um, boost for us in terms of distribution to their uh, entire network. So that, that, so those are the four evergreen five minute pit pass and then killer. So I'm going to ask a loaded question now. I've been teasing it for half sure. an hour. You ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> now that I've got you all buttered up and softened up. If he hangs, if he hangs up on me, we'll have to call him back. Now <laughs> is the podcast market too saturated right now? 
Of course it is. That's not a loaded question. That's an easy question. <laughs> There's 2.1 million podcasts out there. It's an insanely saturated market. But, you know, and the truth is, if you look at our 150 shows, the top 25 are probably doing 88 to 90% of our total downloads in a monthly period. We are about to add in, uh, this hasn't been a, it's official, but it hasn't been you know, announced. And that, that is, we're, we're bringing on a whole music network with an additional 25 podcasts, which is going to change our whole music um, channel. As you see it today, it's going to radically change in the next couple of weeks. So adding in those 25 new podcasts <coughs> will give us on average over a million downloads a month for the entire network. You've got four or five channels then underneath it, which should all hit a million plus downloads for the year, not just in the month. So we're hitting a tipping point of just great growth, and we've been very lucky. But the truth is there's probably some shows that could be cut. Not saying that we would right now, but that we, we because of that saturation that you mentioned, we are going to have to start making some decisions on what shows we want in the portfolio to keep our growth numbers at the same rate that they are today. And um, so, you know, I, I don't know what that means, but I, I do know that come 2023, I think the, the, the content strategy is just going to be a lot different than it is today. You know, we, 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 Early on, we took on a lot of shows because we felt they had great growth prospects. And a lot of them turned out to be true. But there's just been a few, and you know, there's just yeah. a few that are still small. Um, they're still a hobby. It's a passion project, but that can wane. And not every show is going to be a hit. It's just like TV or, or movies or music. And, you know, you've got to make that unfortunate decision at some point on what shows you want in your portfolio. We know our channel strategy and, and what genres are going to lead for next year. And right now our, our mission is like feed that machine, like get us more true crime podcasts, get us more music podcasts, get us more health and wellness, get us more history, get us more news. And we'll just build on the channels that are currently super strong for us. And we'll be opportunistic on the other channels, but you know, let's, let's, work on the genres that have really been uh, important for our growth. But you, you, you're spot on, Jim. I mean, like 2.1 million podcasts is just an overwhelming number. Uh, I, I do expect that number to grow still uh, throughout 2022, maybe hit a crescendo in 23 and you'll start to see some things filter out. I also think you're going to see a lot more, mergers and acquisitions taking place in the uh, podcast marketplace. We've tried to be a part of that. You know, we, we acquired Pit Pass Moto. We invested in podcast radio in the United Kingdom. We have acquired uh, interest in other podcast networks. Uh, and I would like to continue doing that. Um, our capital really right now is focused on the sales and the marketing of the, of the current evergreen content strategy, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. So I, I over the last 18 months, I want to say that, that 2.1, it was like a million. I remember the big email post Yeah, it was a million podcasts. And I'm like, wow. I In thought, one year. Yeah. And then yeah, I'm like, one year. and then next year there's 2 million. I went, holy, I think COVID had a lot to do with that though. Yes, COVID changed listening patterns in a big way. Um, it's they're listening longer because the, the, there's very few commutes anymore, you know, relative to what there was pre-COVID. Our average listening time pre-COVID was about 24 minutes, and then 24 minutes on the way back. And so we cut our original podcast 
to fit essentially a 35 to 45 minute commute. So you'd split the podcast in half with a mid roll. And that's when they were pulling into the parking lot of where they worked essentially since COVID our podcasts have gotten longer, you know, even though we've introduced some short form, like five minute news and a couple others, um, most of our podcasts have gotten longer, not, not shorter because of the longer duration because people are home. So they're just listening longer. Yeah, I'm always interested by the people that, because audio is going to be with us forever. Agreed. Because it's passive and you can do it while you're driving or working around the house or whatever. I mean, I do it while I'm sitting on the mower. I mean, I'm not sure how good that is, but (laughs) (laughs) a good pair of headphones goes a long way with that. Uh, Right? But it's, I mean, I need need the other noise. Uh, Because otherwise, if I'm sitting there listening to the white noise of the mower... Michael will be getting a phone call about this great idea I had. <laughs> a podcast just about left-handed people. Follow me for a minute. No. <laughs> that, that's a show, man. That is totally a show. But I'm I'm wondering because, you know, you got to look at where the market is and where it was. And then, you, of course, any podcasting conversation feels incomplete without mentioning Joe Rogan and the Spotify deal. Which I read, some, I want to say on LinkedIn that that deals actually costing him listeners, which blows my mind. Of course, I don't think he cares because the, the check is still clearing. Um, but is that the future of, of podcasting, taking shows exclusively to one distribution point? Well, the distribution points are going to get more narrow, and they're going to, there's going to be a fence or a wall built around those channels. So you've got Apple, you've got Spotify, you've got Amazon – but are pretty active in the marketplace and building up their audio content libraries pretty steadily. Spotify is a perfect example of this, of all the different hosting and distribution platforms they've acquired, uh, all the different shows and networks that they've acquired. Uh, obviously, Rogan is the big one, and I, I do find it funny every time we find someone new who's pitching us a show. Like, it's going to be just like Rogan, and we're like – you know, love him or hate him, there's only one Rogan. And you got to respect that there's only one Rogan, in, you know, out there. You know, his move to Spotify was like Howard Stern's move to, you know, Sirius XM. It, it is going to cut into his listenership. But I do have to say he's still probably, well, it's not even in question. I mean, he's by far the most influential podcaster and pop culture um, um, expert in in the United States today or globally. I mean, he he really is a force to be reckoned with. Um, So, I I mean, I respect that in in great detail. Um, And, you know, I I do agree that, um, see, I, I think early on when they're all buying someone like, Spotify bought Gimlet and they bought Rogan and Amazon bought Wondery. You could see they were buying distribution hosting and content on top. So then they could layer their own advertising networks on top of their own content. Spotify is doing the same thing. They bought Megaphone. We use Megaphone as a hosting distribution service. And we use Megaphone as a third-party ad network. It's, It's a big penalty to be in these walled gardens. We love Megaphone and the technology it provides, but I get penalized 50% for every ad that gets played on the Spotify ad network through Megaphone. So we may sell something for 28 30 bucks a CPM or cost per mil. I'm only getting 15 16 bucks net because they're taking out their 50%. Earlier this year, Evergreen... I knew this was going to happen. So we went out, we started, we tried to acquire our own distribution and hosting system. Um, and, and I can say that now because we, we, I didn't have the capital availability <laughs> that I really needed to, to, to do, to pull this off. But we had a lot of interest. The company that we looked at was a company called captivate.fm. 
and they ended up being acquired by DAX, which is part of the global uh, network. For the, for the very same reason there, it's like DAX wanted a distribution and a hosting system that they could put their own ad network on top. So it all this content is being called and acquired to be in these walled gardens with their own ad network on top. And if you don't want to play in their ad network, then you're going to be cut off. So, you know, it's something that we're keenly aware of and focused on, on trying to be as independent and third party as possible. I also need to maximize our revenues as much as possible. So if I can find a better route than 50% of my advertising revenue being taken away by a third party, I'm probably going to look at it. Um, but that's what's happening is, is they're, they're, all the all this content's being pulled in the walled gardens. Now, just imagine what's going to happen if HBO and Netflix really start, and Disney, start buying their own content to put into their platforms as well. Just because you watch a movie on, on, on Disney Plus, HBO Max, or Netflix doesn't mean you can't listen to podcasts on that same network. And so I, I that's where I think the next generation is going to go is they're going to start buying companies like an evergreen to put behind their uh, digital paywall for, you know, primarily video content, but with an audio content um, capability. Yeah. I've, I've been pitched. You've how many times have you been pitched the Netflix of podcasting? I've been pitched it at least five times. <laughs> But everyone who comes out says they're going to be the Netflix of podcasting, right? So we, we've never said that, you know. I know, I know we, you haven't. Just, I, I'm just saying yeah. that I've heard a bunch, of, and I'm like, well, how does that work exactly? Because they started sending people DVDs. I'm not exactly sure how this converts. <laughs> yeah, Spotify just recently acquired uh, a company in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where we're based called find a way and find a way was doing audiobook content. So Spotify is going to go, you know, head to head with Amazon in, in the audiobook, you know, content space. Um, so that, that was of real interest and of significance to, to us when we saw that, that kind of come across the wire. Oh, I've got an audiobook story for you. I probably sh I should not tell you this because I'll probably get slapped for telling you, but oh, whatever, it's worth it. Um, years ago, back when Audible was popping off, like what was this, two thousand ten? No, two thousand thirteen, fourteen, when they were doing affiliates with everybody, right? <laughs> Just trying to right. get their, their name out there. Of course, I picked up on it because you know, a few bucks is a few bucks, and I had my wife as my guest on my show, right? Because it was our anniversary, and what else can you do? except to have her on your show. Very because, romantic. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I'm sitting here reading this Audible promo off of an index card in front of me. She's sitting right beside me. Right? So I turn to her and say, what do you think about Audible? Because I told her to join up, you know, because, you know, it's an affiliate, so you need the people to sign up. So I had her sign up. And she looks at me square in the face and says, it's horrible. It's the worst thing I've ever used. And I went, well, I guess they're not coming back next month. <laughs> <laughs> We just lost an advertising. Yeah. <laughs> because I said when I send that timestamp in, that one's not going to go over well. <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, but, yeah. Good times. And she was right. It wasn't that great at the time. But, nevertheless. But I'm sure they've gotten better since then. All sincerity. I haven't used it since. But so Okay, so... Now, my friend, you, you teased your own mysteries earlier, and I didn't catch a whiff of what you were talking about. So I'm just going to kind of peel back and let you de decipher what I'm looking for here. What kind of mysteries? I do, do my you best. Have? What kind of mysteries do you have hiding under my closet or in my closet that I don't know about? What mysteries do I have? Yeah. Well, happy to talk about some of my favorite mysteries. That's what you sent me earlier today. Oh, see, you know, I thought we were going to talk. <laughs> Did you commit some true crimes? We were talk like <laughs> mysteries and paranormal, and I was like boning up and, um, you know, and, and trying to, 
go toe to toe with the master. Um, so it wasn't like personal mysteries. Oh. It was like, you know, the the old Malaysian flight, right? That you know, the airplane that disappeared, like you know, things of that nature. That's, okay. that's where I thought you wanted to go. Well, okay, and, well, you know, talk about things. We could go there if you want. What'd you figure out? Where'd it go? Oh, I, you. You know, uh, what uh, was it? DB Cooper said, was that, that was forty years ago. DB Cooper jumped out of that plane with all that money, and they never found them. Well, they, they're starting to find some of the money. They have found some of the money. The funny thing with that is that that became such a col- pop culture reference that it was in Loki. Like Loki was DB Cooper. Um, I just found, I found that to be just <laughs> crazy really really crazy maybe you maybe okay so here's a mystery for you uh, you might have an answer to this but it, it baffles me why is true crime so popular as a podcast you know that that and, and it's, it's a heavy it's a very heavy female demographic too you mean talking like 75 to 80 percent female I, and a lot of it as you know is is um relationship crime right i mean so you if you watch those MSNBC murder mysteries on Sunday afternoons, the big marathons, there's no mystery to it. It's either the husband or the wife, right? And uh, and uh, so I think there's just this macabre enjoyment of or this, you know, systemic fear of those who are closest to you could be the most dangerous to you. And that, I think, is what drives a lot of this um, true crime, uh, murder mystery um, detail. It, it's really wild stuff. Um, we, for years, we had an editorial policy that we couldn't do it at Evergreen. And certainly not at Front Porch people. I mean, if you remember Front Porch, it was very pristine, very family-friendly. And But it was during our Front Porch days that we, we were writing up on, the, on one of the walls in, in the old office different domain names or names that we wanted for our different channels. And one was Killer Podcasts. And I don't know why we bought the domain, but we, we were sitting on this domain for years before we used it. And finally, I think we just got mature enough internally and, and philosophically to say that, yeah, we would do it, but only as a separate channel. And, um, but I got to tell you, we've just added so many great titles to that. You know, and we, we've got you and I, and you, you really don't do a lot of true crime. No, you do more paranormal and conspiracy, but we got mad scientists who killed um, true crime psychology. Some really conning the con, uh, stop the killing, and these shows are all just really doing fantastic. We launched finally our own original true crime show, um, which is Crime Capsule, and that's been one of the better launches of one of our own original programs that we've ever had. So, you know, and I, I get, I listen to that true crime <coughs> channel quite a bit. Well, you know, I'm always listening to shows for quality control and to give people advice and counsel. And I'm an executive producer of, you know, at this point, I don't know how many shows, but you know, probably 15 or 16. And I'm, I just, I love, for me personally, it's the love of the story. Uh, I there are a lot of great podcasts like yours where you're telling these just really wonderfully intricate stories from just very intelligent, creative souls who are searching for answers. I think another reason why people love true crime is, especially the unsolved mystery, is like what happened and how did how does nobody know how to solve this thing? It's it's these perpetual riddles because I would never want to pass away as a mystery. I, I don't think any of us want to, we all want closure in our life. And I think that's what really drives 
a lot of this 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 really, like I said, macabre love affair with 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 true crime. And I, I think the art of storytelling, which sound it sounds ridiculous, right? But you know what I'm, you know you're gonna you're gonna understand what I'm saying here perfectly. Our communication keeps getting shorter and shorter, but we still have the fascination with somebody who can tell us a good story. And I think that's only going to increase. I agree with you. The ability to tell a yarn or a captivating tale or a story just drives the imagination and it quiets everything down around you. And people want to listen in. I don't think that'll ever stop. Um, and I, I listen just like everybody else. I'm incredibly awful at putting that phone down or putting the laptop down uh, during the day uh, to break away and just get a sense of what is going on with your day and with your life. But I'm probably a bit more blessed than most with the ability to hang around with 150 storytellers. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's my day. And, and as you know, Jim, we're moving into a, a, a bigger new uh, studio that we're building out specifically for our needs. And, and I, I really want that to be this um, kind of like pin station of sorts of storytellers where people can come in and out and tell these wonderful stories and we, we can record them. I've always been driven uh, on the podcasting side and the audio side by this fear of like, if we don't capture it, it just disappears in the ether and we'll never, you know, it, I find it tragic. There are people out in the world who have really compelling stories who haven't told those stories and have never been captured on the audio, right? The common everyday, everyday Joe and Jane who we see schlepping around the streets. They're all fascinating to me. You know, there's always a backstory with these people, right? Who are they? What made them, what makes them tick? You know, what, what are some of the tragedies and, and expressive moments in their lives? And, and, and then this, that, that's my personal drive. It's like, I really want to record as much as possible. There's a um, physics theory where there's a belief that everything that's ever happened in the universe is being recorded on the fringes or the outside of the of the galaxy so remember how big this thing is that it's capturing time in a really unique sequence and everything's being captured but i don't want to take that risk i don't know if that's true i certainly know i'll never be able to enjoy it um i quite frankly i don't think humans can understand that type of uh information but I just, I would just feel awful if the people I loved didn't have their stories recorded to the point. A number of years ago, before she got really uh, sick and frail, my grandmother, who raised me as a pup, my nana, I sat down with her for two days and just recorded uh, through my, you know, Apple laptop story after story from her because I just I needed to have it recorded I, you know I don't I don't know if she's ever told anyone her full story A to Z you know, up to that point in time and and she was getting hard, hard of hearing and she wanted to take breaks because she was just getting tired and but I'm glad I did that and I'm glad we pushed and I think she was too I think she really got emotional in a few points while she was going through stories that I don't think a lot of people or at some points anyone had ever heard. Right. And so that's my personal mission. It just, I, I get, I guess I got lucky that I'm part of a, you know, profession and an opportunity where I can, I, I can do that. I wish I could do it for everybody, but you know, we gotta unfortunately sometimes say no. So, I can't remember the name of the show. I'm fired. Uh, back last March, April, there was a, it was in Canada. They sent me, you know, I'm tweeting all the time. You get that. Um, they sent me a link to their show. They had, they run a retirement community and they had this bench 
the bench is part of the name of the show. That's why it kicks in my head here. And they, you know, they bring people over and they would talk to them for 20, 30 minutes. Well, the fact the one was even like an hour, the guy sat there and talked to them and just told stories like you're talking about with the people that were living there. And they, you know, a little introduction and they let them talk and people that, I wish, you know, if I ever had enough money to do a nonprofit, <clears throat> I would make sure that retirement homes and villages would have that type of audio capability. I, I really do feel it's important to capture as much audio of our experiences as a, as a race, as the human race as possible. Um, because I think we're just endlessly fascinating characters, good and bad, you know. It's fascinating. Why, why are they so good or why are they so bad? That these things, but I, to have their story, I think it's just so important. We, before COVID hit, we actually had won a grant with a local historical society to record seniors as an expression of our life, they could take their full narrative. This is my story from A to Z or, Oh, during world war two or during the Korean war, this is what happened to me. It's what happened to me as a child or I was a high school star. And then, you know, things didn't turn out great for whatever the story was. We wanted to capture it. And, you know, unfortunately we've been underneath the haze of COVID the last couple of years. And just have not been able to get the time to record these because of uh, the health concerns but i really hope that we can do that someday I th but i think that's a beautiful thing to do it's a gift to give to people yeah, letting them tell their story and this is why i love the live chat room my, my chat room pops up elder wisdom stories from the green bench is the name of the show i was <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> so i was looking that's for great live dynamic okay so mike you, you, Evergreen's got 150 shows. You said they're adding 25, so if I'm good at math, that's 175-ish. Oh, um, yeah. I I, I'm, I included the 25 in that 150. Oh, okay. So we're, we'll be at 150 okay. the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. So is where's the uh, – I mean, I, I, I'm not going to hold you to a peak number, but I'm sure there's a number or spot, a good spot that you want to be before you start kind of shifting around. And Yeah, I think – well, the the goal the 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 monthly number is a million. No, no I'm you talking know. about shows. I'm not talking about downloads. I'm talking about numbers. Oh, shows. shows! Oh, shows! 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 I I I I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, I, a million shows, Mike. Come on now. For... I'll never talk to you again if you do a million shows. <laughs> <laughs> I want every podcast being made on the network. You know, there, there's no set number of shows. Because we've decided internally, if we get a bulk enough shows underneath a genre, we'll spin it out like we did with Killer Podcasts. You know, so Killer, I want to be as big as Evergreen. So Killer's got two years to get to be a million downloads a month. You know that that shows probably that channel's probably doing almost two hundred thousand right now as a separate channel. Which isn't bad for the first two months in existence, by the way. Two months, yeah, first two months. But by 2023, I want it at a million downloads a month. So obviously you're going to see a big push into that. I don't have a number on shows. It's easier to manage less shows, to be sure. Well, I guess that's kind of where I was wondering, because, I mean, obviously you're going to reach a tipping point where you have... I mean, you don't, I, mean I know you've got some great people working for you. I've met a number of them. I don't know how many you have total, but... I mean, you, everybody's great, but, I mean, the more people you had, the more friction you have, the more problems you can run into. Well, as i got friction already. I mean, you know, I've got 20 people who are doing the job of 60, to be, to be quite frank. And, you know, with 150 shows, that's quite a lot. And, you know, one of the issues we had earlier in the year was just our sales program wasn't kicking off the way I wanted it to. So... We made some changes on our sales side that I've had to carry for six, seven months. And and that is really starting to turn in a big way. But one of the reasons why is because now we finally got some inventory and some larger shows. Um, 
I don't. I have no philosophical problem with us carrying three to four to five hundred shows, but you're going to need a pretty deep bench of account management. You know, like you know when you talk to Connor when we were trying to onboard you, for example. You know, that was it. Took two or three people to kind of make things work the way we needed it to. Much less the web team that was putting all your pages together and you know all this it it takes a lot to get a show moved over and for the bigger shows it becomes a bigger problem because of the just the rss feed transition and some of the quirks with all the different hosting and distribution platforms i i will say we've only lost three shows since we've started and um which were up to and Media Mavens and This American President. Up to was a branded show that we had initially worked on for two years and had a very, um, very aggressive host who wanted to grow the show into a national market. And with us, it never got there, but he got, he got, um, approached by a conservative talk network that made all the sense for him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we, we built up the show. It was a polished award-winning show and he made that jump and we would never say no to that because that was his dream. So like, dude, you know, like, of course, I mean, the, the media mavens was a smaller marketing show and um, she had jumped around quite a few times and uh, so it was really not a big issue for us. We really enjoyed having that show on the network. I wish it would have stayed. Not a big show. So I, I didn't personally feel uh, offended by the, her moving to a more business-centric network. The third one, which was, um, which was This American President, was a show that I, I think got some wires crossed. I don't know if they got enough attention that they, the show probably merited from the sales side of the house, for sure. We just started selling that show big time. <clears throat> and then they, they announced they were going to leave. And we asked, well, that, you know, that's cool. They went to an all-history network. And, and, and that one hurt because that, that's a show that, it, it, when it came to us, was probably doing, you know, 10,000, 11,000 a month. It was doing twenty three to 25,000 a month. So we, we, I think we helped in its growth uh, considerably, and we were starting to sell, and people were really excited about this show, and they jumped to the Parthenon Network, which is a pure history um, show or network of six or seven different history shows, and uh, and so you know that 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 one hurt a little bit more. Uh, we're still good friends. When we were in D.C. a couple months ago. We, we sat down and had breakfast with him one day because I, I didn't want to leave on bad terms. I think the one thing you can say about us, Jim, is that, you know, I hate to lose. I hate losing shows that are meaningful for us in, in, our, in our network. But we'll do everything we can to make sure that the tra- transition is complete that we don't hold any of their shows back. It's their intellectual property. We have to respect that. And then it's a good transition because you never know when they might want to come back. And I do want them all back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, Mike. I, I would not turn any of those. What's that? So, Mike, I've got to tell you, we're all, almost out of time. So I appreciate you. But can you hang out with me for a second? No. Yeah, can you hang out with me for a second off the, course, the live Mike. show? I appreciate you, and I appreciate yeah. what Killer's doing, what um, Evergreen's doing. And so... I'm looking forward to all that. I'm waiting for the new intro, the outro to start. I don't know when it starts. I didn't make a note. So we're just going to fill this time. It should be starting any second now. I'm looking at it. Man, hopefully it's there. If not, I'm going to sound like an idiot. Won't be the first time. The there it is. Yeah, the hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. Yeah.
You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.